Evening, Dan. Evening, Emma. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Uh, I'm going to apologise from the off and uh, for what is a rather ropey connection today. So you may you may have to do a lot of the talking, which which is not a bad thing. Wait, but who's gonna who's gonna make me sound good? <laughs> I'll give it a go when I when I can when my internet connection lasts. How uh, how's deadline day been for you? Um, you know, in truth, the, uh, honestly, like as as we've talked about previously, deadline day on the whole is relatively uh, famous. Last words, straightforward for me is like a lot of the stuff has already been done. Um, there's sometimes some queer, queries about particular things and regulatory bits, but the, the truth is, a lot of my clients. I'm not saying everyone is perfect. Far from it. I've, I've got most of their stuff done. So um, you know, I, I actually quite like. Um, th- there's always things that crop up and the rest, but on the whole, um, a huge amount of stuff I do um, deadline day ish late, unless um, something quite um, yeah substantively uh, problematic happens. So yeah, what could be better on deadline day apart from showing that I'm not doing any uh, transfers um, is uh, chatting to you about lots of other the different things that have cropped up so it just felt like a really good time now and um, in the midst of uh, in the midst of things coming to coming to fruition for some clubs and, and not for others to chat through some of the, the interesting trends that we've seen over the last um, month or so yeah definitely and uh, it's the same here to be honest um I, I haven't had a busy deadline day in years now um just on the basis i think partly because of the work we do tends to be more strategic with clubs but also i think clubs are just generally getting smarter uh, obviously there's a few kind of uh much spoken about deals happening today, but actually I think a lot of these deals aren't necessarily reactive deals. A lot of them have been in the works uh, for a long period of time or, or you know, been on clubs' radars and profiles for a long period of time. So, yeah, I think I think generally the 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 peak deadline day was probably about 10 years ago now, wasn't it, With um, uh, when you had Carol and Torres and Suarez all happening on one day and uh, there was a, a few years before that, I think, with... Um, with Man City and Rubinho and Berbatov and so on. But uh, I think it's, it's kind of largely settled down now and uh, the markets are a little bit more rational. Um, but where, where should we start? What's, what's caught your eye during the window, Dan? Well, I, I was thinking of taking it in a few different directions. And you, you tell me, I had a menu of a few things that we previously talked about, um, some sexier than others. But I was thinking in no particular order, Mbappe, Ronaldo, and then uh, maybe LFC renewals rather than transfers I quite liked as a theme. And then I was also really interested in reading about Griezmann and Saul as well today based on, you know, could, could Griezmann go back to Atletico because of the Saul loan with a, to a view to a permanent um, Chelsea deal. So I like that sort of dynamic as one transfer being very much dependent on getting cash flow in for another, as is usually the case. But, you know, I think, I think Ronaldo is a really big one, isn't it, Omar? And um, I wonder whether that might be a good place to start. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly, um, must admit, I mean, it really caught me by surprise. I think it caught a lot of people by surprise um, as, a, as a kind of deal that suddenly accelerated and, and happened. It's, it, I think with a big player, certainly personally, I always think, oh, it's never going to happen until until it really does. Um, but it's, yeah, a, a really interesting move. Um, so our data science have crunched the numbers on it. Um, and, and from a purely sporting perspective, you know, Ronaldo's still a, a really, really good player, even even in our models, even though he's fallen off. A fair bit in the last couple of years we still rate him very highly and um it, having said that you know our models estimate he's going to have about a two point um per, per season or two point impact this season on man united which which doesn't sound massive but it does probably just about put them ahead of the pack with chelsea in in the kind of chasing pack behind city it's kind of a a title win likelihood increase of about seven percent to twelve percent um, which, which isn't, which might sound small, but it isn't insignificant. That's not far off doubling uh, in the Champions League, about five to eight uh, percent increase from five percent to eight um, percent. So, 
yeah, assigning that. Um, here's me trying to rationalise it from a sporting perspective. Let's be honest, it's it's really a kind of beyond that in some ways. It's commercial, but it's also kind of the, the perhaps a softer impact Ronaldo can have in the dressing room at, at United. Um, but but from a sporting perspective, I think he'll have a, a good but not you know incredible impact. This isn't a player who's going to catapult United to the league and Champions League. I don't think. Um, and financially, I think you know the the transfer fee is almost a little bit underwhelming in some ways for for the profile of the player that he is. I don't, I don't think necessarily, um, but it's um, it's almost because of his age. Of course, it's it's kind of um, almost a surprise to see a, a transfer that low. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, a good story for the Premier League. But uh, I'm not I'm not expecting to have an enormous impact at United. Well, it was an interesting one, and I know we don't really talk tactics on the whole on our show because we're not um for good reason yeah <laughs> but you know there was a great piece by michael cox i think it was either yesterday or today on um obviously the mega signings so far which are messi and ronaldo and obviously them being you know some of the um most influential and iconic players of the last couple of decades i guess but actually the transfers themselves leading to potential um, issues in terms of you know the systems that um, the teams play and um, Solskjaer and um, and Pochettino to a degree and then how they would then necessarily fit into the system I guess Ronaldo is the interesting one because does he play off the left does he play in a, a nine role um, you know obviously these these questions are for far more qualified people than than me um, but and the same with Messi to a degree is that you know Poch likes a you know a high tempo um, you know team that plays on the front foot and that, that's not quite at least when I've seen Messi Barcelona's Messi over the last few years hasn't quite been what we've uh, we've seen on pitch yeah I think um, and that's certainly you know the numbers I presented there on Ronaldo is certainly the thing that's it's hard to quantify and I think the, the big caveat I have on those numbers is that our kind of median expectation, if you like, is, is two points. But it could be, you know, he fits in, you know, links up really well with, with Sancho, you know, has a great relationship with Pogba, whatever it is. And, um, you know, it's actually five, six points. Uh, or it could be that, you know, he, you know, really can't fit the system. Um, you know, he, you know, I don't know, is, is earning a lot more than the other players and causes disruption or, or whatever it is. And it's actually a negative impact when he plays um, compared to what, you know, I don't know, a Greenwood or a Martial or Cavani playing. Um, so it's it's going to be really interesting. I think um, in many ways, I think in the last few years, there's almost been like a philosophical battle in European football between, you know, playing philosophy, the system and um, superstars. Um, and on the whole, I think it's been probably relatively even between the two. I mean, Real Madrid have obviously had a lot of success in the Champions League, but, you know, a Liverpool have had a huge amount of success domestically, given the budget. Bayern Munich have had a lot of success um, domestically and in, and in Europe without, you know, really going out and signing the, the megastars. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll be kind of interested on Looker. I'm not sure it's kind of, um, certainly the Messi deal is, I'm not sure it's great for the kind of overall competitive landscape of, uh, of European football, having a, a team with Messi, Neymar and Mbappe. We'll get onto that in a sec. But I, but I think... Um, it'll be an interesting watch. I think the question is like, how long will it retain our interest? Will it only really be interesting for those big Champions League knockout ties, of which you know it's quarterfinals onwards? So we're really only talking about five five games a season. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of entering the season almost like a bit of a haze. It feels like there's this kind of weird movements of players going on. It's difficult to kind of unpick. I think Omar, I was I was interested, obviously, um, in in thoughts on Mbappe as well from um, from your perspective. Now, I'm I'm it it seems a little bit of theatre, isn't it, really, between PSG and um, and Madrid um, that it's not necessarily just for commercial reasons, it's not necessarily just for 
on field reasons. It's not necessarily just for geopolitical reasons um, that all of all of that into the mix um, goes, you know, some way. There's a great headline in The Athletic, which is who's who's sillier or otherwise, I think it was uh, bidding 160 million or refusing 160 million for a player who is one year out of uh, or 10 months out of um, a contract. And yeah, I, I, I found I find it all fascinating simply because whether it is just leverage building, or it is um, uh, showing, uh, you know, Madrid effectively showing Mbappe the love he needs to show that they've gone all out for him and then we'll try and sign him on a pre-contract in, in January, whether PSG actually in refusing the first bid at least feel that there's still, even though Leonardo has said otherwise, some hope of re-signing the player the geopolitical aspects of, you know, PSG being owned by, um, you know, um, Qatar as a sovereign state and then the World Cup being there next year and whether the build-up to that with three of the top players in world football being in their stable helps them in different ways that aren't necessarily just, um, you know, on pitch and commercial. You know, all of those things into the mix for what, you know, for who, apart from Mbappe having, you know, by his standards, relatively poor Euros is likely to be one of the standout generational players for, for the next period of time. Yeah, I hadn't even, you know, uh, the geopolitical one is certainly um, an angle, you know, I'm certainly not qualified enough to, to speak about it. I hadn't even considered the kind of World Cup image aspect, which is obviously, you know, forefront of the mind only well less than was it 14, 15 months away now. Um, I mean, Aureli, we're completely listening in here from our data science team. We've done some good work on um, discounts on players in the last year of their deal. And typically it's in the region of around 20%, I think it is. Um, you can obviously raise his hand if, if I'm wrong, but um, which actually isn't, isn't a huge amount because um, I think that you have, you know, yes, the players in the last year of their deal is often offset by demand. Now, now, in this case, obviously, there's only one real buyer for Mbappe. But I think the how many times we've we seen players in the last year of their deal um, and it looks you know, for all money, they're going to one club and perhaps they stay and then they end up going to another in 12 months' time. And I can understand you know, Real Madrid, let's put aside the, the kind of finance of it and think about it from a sporting perspective. I can understand why they'd want to get him now because there probably is an opportunity with, with Messi going in there and there probably is, um, you know, there's certainly no guarantee that in 12 months' time they'd be able to be able to get him. So I, I can kind of understand it. Um, the numbers are insane. I mean, I remember when the Neymar deal happened, uh, was it 2017? So about four years ago now, um, looking at, you know, a really good metric if you ever want to, assess about how ex- uh, expensive a deal is, is to look at the transfer fee as a proportion of the club's revenue. And typically for superstars, you know, clubs are paying in the region of 15% of their revenue-ish, maybe a bit more sometimes, sometimes up to 18% um, on their, of their revenues on a, on a transfer fee. Uh, and Neymar was above 30%. It was kind of unheard of in the FFP era. And I think Mbappe would be pushing that. It wouldn't be kind of... Um, it wouldn't be beyond the Neymar deal because Real Madrid are one of the wealthiest clubs in the world, whereas PSG weren't in terms of revenues at the time. Um, but if it is, yeah, it would be a kind of pretty, um, a transfer fee kind of akin to the pre-FFP era when you look at some of the fees that were being paid for the likes of um, Zidane um, and, and players like that back in the kind of early noughties. And I, I think it is a little bit of a signal that FFP, as we, as we discussed weeks, is, is going to take a different form over the coming years. I was also interested in your thoughts, Omar, and I can just maybe briefly um, sort of intro it in on... Um, the sort of Liverpool scenario as well, um, simply because obviously, you know, a lot of other teams have 
you know, United and Chelsea, uh, Man City to an extent. Um, Arsenal have spent big as well. Um, and and Liverpool, apart from, you know, Konate, who's obviously one for the future as well, and they've, they've spent because of the, the centre-back issue they had from last year. Um, Liverpool have sort of taken a very different approach in the, in the transfer markets to a degree. They've sold some fringe players, no very big arrivals, but effectively have um, secured... They're some of their absolute superstars for the next three, four, five years in Allison, Alexander Arnold, Van Dijk, Fabino, Henderson, and not not so superstar just yet, but and Nat Phillips as well as uh, just reported to sign a new deal as well. Um, Salah potentially on the way, Mane potentially on the way with new deals as well. And you know, I'd, I'd be fascinated. You know, obviously, you know, fans want a shiny new thing. They want the 50, 60, 70 million pound transfer. But, you know, I was trying to do some very, very basic calculations. And I would have thought that those six elite, sorry, those five elite players with some more to come have probably added, you know, another two to two and a half million pounds on, on um, the the uh, weekly wage bill was, was my thought. And that equates really to, you know, coming up to 50, 60, 70 million pounds um, extra that the club are going to have to pay to secure, you know, some absolute world-class talent. And so, you know, I'm always fascinated in the psychology of the football fan to a degree now, which is, well, would you rather take some of those players um, with the increment or would you rather potentially lose some of those players um, uh, in exchange for some players that might come in and do well? But there's no, um, uh, yeah, there's no absolute certainty that that would be the case. So, you know, as much as um, it may be very... um, uh, unfashionable to say. I actually think Liverpool have had a very, very good window in securing some of their best players for the best years of their careers. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think um, what the ownership at Liverpool have been very good at in well since they've you know, started being successful in the last four or five years um, has been probably shutting out the noise of of the transfer window and not really caring in many ways what. Uh, fans seem to think, or you know, the media seems to think, and I think, um, yeah, the 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 fact that they haven't gone and spent huge this window is is probably a reflection of that. And they've, they've kind of quietly, in some ways, rejuvenated the the league winning squad uh, with the likes of Jota and uh, Konate this window as well, and they've done that over the last couple of years. Um, I think the big, it's it's such a tough balance um, clubs in Liverpool situation. I think Man City had it a few years ago when they had. Yaya Toure and Vincent Company and David Silva. Um, now they, they were probably a little bit older, I think, than than certainly Allison, um, obviously Trent, um, but but obviously Van Dijk and um, uh, and Henderson are a little bit older, and and they've got contracts now running into their into their mid thirties. And I think the the question is, I guess, the premium that you pay on the certainty of the performance of those players, like Van Dijk, you know. You know he's he's settled in. There's there's no transition element. There's no uncertainty about his performance. He's obviously done really well in the first three games of the season as well. Hasn't seemed to have shown any ill effects of that that injury. So I think clubs um, are and should be prepared to pay a premium on it. Uh, I think Liverpool have. I think they had the second highest wage bill perhaps in in the season they won the league, which obviously inflated by bonuses. But even then, I think reflects the fact that the club have invested heavily in wages, heavily in agents fees as well, which is um, something that's reported. I think normally in uh, February time or so. Um, so they've gone, they've gone big on that, um, and you can't, you can't criticise it. It's been a successful strategy. So, I, um, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to have a huge amount of squad churn, but the year they won the league as well, they barely won in, in that summer. Um, the year Spurs, you know, reached Champions League, didn't sign anyone the previous summer. So there's, there's a lot to be said for, for having a settled squad as well. Can we also talk about Dan James? 
because I know that that was something you were you were keen to um, sort of focus on a little bit. And then obviously we've got a few other issues to do with um, about Brexit and GBE um, work and, and COVID, etc. For, for the last 10 minutes or so. But you, you're interested in um, sort of uh, having a brief um, insight into Dan James stuff too. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a model that more and more clubs could and should adapt what United have done with um, with Dan James. Um, so I, I don't remember the exact fees. Um, if I wanted to talk about it, I should have done my research and looked up the numbers. But I think United signed him for around £50 million, something like that. Um, and they're now selling him for close to double, maybe a bit less. Um, and I think there is just this arbitrage opportunity, basically, um, for most, essentially any settled Premier League club buying from the Championship, um, where... Essentially, you can get players from the championship, you know, good players from the championship for 10, 15, you know, that kind of range of money. But the moment that they're Premier League players and the moment that they get a decent run of games and a lot of these clubs can give minutes to players in league games, in the odd Champions League game, in Cup as well, their value just skyrockets because your squad player, a squad player at Man United is worth 25 million. Uh, that's kind of a fact of the marketplace, um, you know, and it's, it's kind of irrespective of what their transfer fee was before. And I think... You know, Liverpool, um, I think Liverpool have done it really well um, to a degree um, with signing less championship players, but more kind of young players where they see like essentially this player is undervalued. We can bring him in. They don't have to do especially well. And we, can, we can resell them. So I think Dominic Solanke is, um, is the one that really comes to mind. Um, they obviously signed um, Ben Davies from, from Preston as well. Okay, it's exceptional circumstances, but they knew, I think, you know, they'd probably be able to sell him on for even though he hardly played a Premier League game for, for reasonable money. Um, and I think there is, um, you know, th- there is quality in the championship. There's a lot of players in the championship who are very capable of playing in the Premier League. We see that every year because we see clubs come up from the championship and, and be competitive in the Premier League without necessarily making huge changes to their squad. So I think there is that, that arbitrage opportunity signing from, from lower leagues and being able to resell them on. Uh, and if Brentford have done it really, really well from uh, National League, League One, League Two, when they were in the championship. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's been a really good bit of business from United that um, I think Daniel James has probably developed and evolved as well. So it's been good for the player. And he's now at a club that obviously wanted him in the first place as well. Um, so I think that's been win, win, win all round, really, for, for everyone. Perhaps a little less for Leeds who have had to pay a bit more than they originally hoped. But, um, yeah, I think a really good good bit of business. Uh, I wanted to ask you on... Um, uh, and if you've been across any of these types of deals, but a lot more loan to buys in the marketplace. It's been a trend over the last, probably last two or three years. Um, and I'm just kind of curious what some of what you see as the, the main rationale and, and thinking behind those types of deals. Yeah, I, I was giving this quite a lot of thought because it, it it does fit. I haven't you know done the empirical evidence, and that's probably something for you guys more than, than me in truth, just to see the amount of deals that are reported to that extent. It almost feels like... Um, one of the trends that we were also talking about, um, you know, a few weeks ago, Omar, which was, you know, how, you know, pre and post COVID, whilst transfer fees might have um, equalised, you know, the pre and post COVID wage um, valuations haven't quite, um, you know, readjusted. And, and the reason why I say that is because I just wonder whether, you know, clubs very, are very much acutely aware of that. And what they're maybe more concerned with in the short term is firstly trying to remove those large wages from their wage bill, either to free up space um, for a variety of different reasons, cost cutting or to try and bring someone else in. With also in a year's time, then the the flexibility, as it might be, as to 
um, an obligation to buy or um, uh, the possibility of buying a certain sort of KPIs um, are reached. So sometimes the hedging is, well, he'll have a good season and we'll put in a high obligation um, valuation number because in a year's time, the market might have got better and we can get a good sum for him or her. And the the, the, the converse position for the buying club, the one that's taking the, the, the player on loan, is that in a year's time, maybe actually um, they are undervalued as a player and can potentially um, you know, do well. So I'm, I'm trying to piece together little pieces of narrative to try and understand why, in, in my experience, from what I, deals I've done this summer and what I have seen in the market and what's been reported in the market, that these loans seem to be um, a lot more popular. And, and even, interestingly, multiple-year loans with then the potential to, uh, to buy as well, um, uh, either obligation or uh, possibility. So, you know, I, I almost think that you're getting to the next stage of loan deals where, you know, loans tended to be sometimes very short-term, six months, um, and it was almost a try before you, but without these quite extensive and explicit mechanisms in place. I'm not sure whether you had any thoughts on that as well, Omar, but yeah, I feel it's it's just another literally option that buying and selling clubs can have for lots of different structural cost control, freeing up wage bill, deferring transfer fee money, deferring particular wages if um, buying or selling club are going to take a proportion of those wages, freeing it up for FFP reasons or otherwise too. It just seems like it's another nice tool in, in club's armory to potentially use accordingly. Yeah, it does feel, uh, and I mean this in a nice way, I suppose, like the kicking the can down the road um, approach um, in that, you know, hopefully in you know, a year, two years time, the situation is, you know, a bit easier for clubs. They've got full stadiums, the broadcast deals have recovered or, or whatever it is. So I think um, it has been a good a good tool for, for clubs to use. Um, I do... I do wonder if um, actually we're going to see, and I know there's some kind of regulation that needs to enable this to happen, but more almost like shared upside on, on loan deals where, you know, a player gets loaned to a club and the, the club that's bringing in the player, if they generate more value for that player, uh, you know, are able to sell him on or it goes back to the club and he gets sold on, that there's some kind of shared upside on it. I think um, before COVID and every uh, and all this, uh, you know, Yuri Tillemans went... Um, from Monaco to Leicester on a loan deal initially. Um, and I almost feel like Monaco might have got short change on that because he did really well on that loan spell. And, and I think that the fee might have been agreed at the start of that deal. I, I may be wrong there, but there, I, do, I do get a sense that there could be more kind of collaborations between clubs in the future around trying to work out, you know, um, what the value of a player is and how much value has been added. Um, through a loan spell so that both clubs can kind of have an incentive and motivation for it to, to work out well and maybe coordinate with each other on, you know, how to help a player settle and so on, um, rather than it necessarily being doggy dog. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting mechanism. I'm, I agree with you. I've given it a fair bit of thought, but I haven't quite got my, my head around it yet. But it's interesting as well, as well, because if I remember correctly, it was a while back, but it was when Alderweireld was on loan at Southampton, if I remember correctly, did really well. Then Southampton had uh, the option to buy for a certain amount uh, Tottenham came in late to the day, agreed, I think, a fee in the end with Toby's club at the time and then had to agree to effectively buy out the option from Southampton, um, which was then an interesting mechanism so that Aldevaro could go straight to Spurs, even though Southampton wanted him and had the potential option to, to buy him. So I found that an interesting sort of dynamic and something that might evolve in, in different ways, too, as, exactly as you said. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and then, yeah, the, the last point she alluded to earlier, I think it's been, I can't remember where I read it this morning, but 
been quite an interesting reading about just the logistical challenges that, that clubs have faced um, with respect to medicals and, and obtaining a visa or governing body endorsement for players. Um, so players obviously have to do a medical in the presence of a club, which usually means flying over to the UK, although it can mean meeting in a kind of um, third country like Portugal, where uh, there's kind of a travel corridor at the moment. Um, but players have to, or players agents or whoever it is, has to be applying for the work permit outside of the UK. You can't be in the UK whilst whilst applying for it. And so that has meant flying back and getting all the paper in that. And I think that level of bureaucracy, is, as boring as it is, is probably going to put a bit of a dampener on deadline day, certainly for Premier League clubs in the future, where deal it's all about kind of getting the deal finalised rather than trying to rush through a deal on, on the final day. So I think... Um, one of the unintended consequences of, of Brexit has been that the uh, yellow ticker tape on Sky Sports News is, is probably going to get increasingly dry and, and not particularly interesting and, and news that was reported over the previous few days as opposed to kind of breaking news on that specific day. Um, but yeah, pro- probably one of the lower unintended consequences of, of Brexit. I think you're totally right, Omar. And, um, you know, the, the point here is, is that the buying club just doesn't want to take the risk unless it's a slam dunk that they're going to get the, the GBE. And whereas in the past windows, obviously, if you've got a European passport, you know, you, you're in basically, you know, the, 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 the volume as a result of transfers um, for European and obviously rest of world players then decreases unless there's a slam dunk 15 pointer plus. Whereas, you know, that means that really the, the types of transfers that are likely to be done last last minute ish are going to be British players to a degree, unless, you know, everyone knows that they, they've got enough points to qualify and then the club can take the risk um, of getting those points, applying and knowing that they're, they're going to get the um, they're going to get the, the GB because if they don't, uh, they can't register the player um, and then the player can't play and then the player has to go on loan somewhere else or otherwise. Uh, and then you, you're you in a very difficult position of possibly paying a player's wages uh, and a transfer fee and not being able to play the player because they haven't passed the GB. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure at some stage there'll be some awkward situation where a club does do that. But uh, yeah, it'll be, uh, we'll have to make a note of it when it happens because it it is uh it almost feels inevitable where, where some some hitch will go wrong there's, there's plenty of paperwork now involved in the, in the gp process it's enough to make uh lawyers uh cold sweat <laughs> yeah, absolutely well you can charge more hours but you can charge them again in uh in january can't you don't tell everyone omar <laughs> great chatting as always mate great cheers dan i'll catch you next week okay thanks for listening you can follow me on twitter TikTok and Instagram at Football Law, read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Done Deal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Done Deal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap or all three please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.